Just by way of reminder, of course, Hebrews is written by an unknown author to a community of Jewish disciples of Jesus who are suffering because of their faith in Jesus. As you saw, I read in the very first of the service in Hebrews 10, at first they joyfully endured the plundering of their goods, knowing what they had from Jesus was far better than anything the world could take. Um, but one thing about suffering is the longer it goes, I guess the sort of the harder it becomes. I mean, at first you think there's an end to coming to this. That's one thing. Uh, but the longer it goes on, you begin to wonder when is this going to end? When is the, the end of this coming? And as the end did not seem to be coming in sight, the Hebrew disciples began to question their faith began to consider abandoning their faith, going back into Judaism altogether because it seems that primarily their suffering wasn't from the hands of the Romans but from Jewish non-believers, uh, which was very common. And so if they went back to Judaism, their life would go back to normal. They would be absorbed back into community. All of the suffering would stop. The author of Hebrews finds out about this somehow, writes this letter to encourage them to persevere in their living faith. He, he does this with a, a twofold focus. One, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the temple. Pretty much everything about the Old Testament, Jesus is better than. Second theme is a living faith. He, he wants them... To keep their faith in Jesus. Now if you remember from our previous studies. Our definition we're going to use throughout Hebrews 11. Is of a living faith is a living faith. Trust Jesus' character enough to act on his promises. Uh, and so when he gets to chapter 11. What he does is he goes from the idea. Just a general idea of faith. To begin to put it into practice in their life. He wants them one, to understand what faith is. Two, he wants them to understand their heroes, their Old Testament heroes, people like Abel and Enoch and Moses. They were people of faith. And then he wants them to see what faith looks like as it is being lived out in a day-to-day -day life. Uh, and so where we are up to this point, we have talked about Faith is the substance of things hoped for. By faith, the elders obtained a good report. We can't please God apart from faith. And where we're at tonight, uh, we're going to be in verse 4. So if you have your Bible, it's page 926 in the Pew Bible. We're not going to stand because it's only the one verse. Um, but he begins from this point on. He's moving into the more of the practical application. This is what a living faith looks like. This is how a living faith acts. This is how your heroes have demonstrated their living faith down through the years. So Hebrews 11.4, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was attested to be righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith he is dead, or through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Title tonight is The Sacrifice of Faith. So the author now has transitioned from Here's what faith is to here's what faith looks like. Right? He wants, again, he's reminding them, the people that they have always admired, their heroes were people of faith. But he doesn't just list names and say these people had faith, you have faith too. Instead, what he does is he gives their names and he tells us what their faith motivated them 
to do. Uh, in so many ways, this chapter is a, a case study in what James says about faith without works being dead. But he wants them to understand you must have faith, but it's not enough to, to draw back into Judaism, to go back to the way you were and live how you lived before you met Jesus. Say, I still believe in Jesus, but not demonstrate that in any way in your life. If you have faith, a living faith, it will be lived out in certain ways in your life. And then he's like, and, and this is how this has always been done by our ancestors. This is how it's always been done by our predecessors. So our first example of this is Abel. Now the key phrase in verse 4, and really probably throughout the rest of the chapter, is by faith. By faith, Abel. Right? Abel, by faith, offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Abel obtained a witness he was righteous. And by faith, Abel, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel, everything about Abel, what we see here, flows out of his faith in God. Abel made a better sacrifice because of his faith in God. Abel was counted righteous because of his faith in God. Abel is dead and yet he still speaks because of his faith in God. This by faith aspect is critical to our understanding of everything we're going to see in this chapter. But Abel is not counted as righteous because he made a better sacrifice. Abel made a better sacrifice because he believed. And because he believed, Abel was counted as righteous. Making the better sacrifice was merely the evidence of his faith in God. Abel's sacrifice was just a reflection of his living faith. And, and this is our key truth for the night. The sacrifices I make reflect the faith I have. Right? The sacrifices I make reflect the faith I had. And using Abel's example, what we see in verse 4, I, I want to give us three characteristics of a living faith that makes a sacrifice of faith. First, faith makes a superior sacrifice. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Now, there is some speculation as to about what it means that he offered a more excellent sacrifice. We're not going to go there, but if you're familiar with the story from Genesis 4, you know. If not, let me kind of remind you. Genesis 3, of course, the fall, they're kicked out of the garden. Chapter 4, they have children, Cain and Abel. Over the period of time, as Cain and Abel grow, they begin to, they grow up, they begin to do things. Abel becomes a shepherd, Cain becomes a farmer. As they begin to just live their lives, they, be, they come and they go to offer God a sacrifice. And Cain brings some of the stuff he's grown as a farmer. Abel brings the firstlings and the fat of his flocks and offers them to God. And the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel's sacrifice, but he, he rejected Cain's. So the question becomes, why 
did God reject Cain's sacrifice? Why did God accept Abel's but reject Cain's? What made Abel's sacrifice superior to Cain's? Well, the most common answer people give is Abel brought a blood sacrifice and Cain did not. The law, after all, requires blood to make atonement for sins. So there is some credibility to this answer. But before we settle on that being the reason, there are some facts about the sacrifice that we need to understand. First, keep in mind this event took place several hundred years before the law was given. At this point, there was no Leviticus, which said these are the sacrifices you're to make at a certain time. The law had yet to be given telling them. Also, Genesis 4 never specifically tells us they're making an atonement. It doesn't say they're making an atoning sacrifice. Now, remember again, in, in the Old Testament, in the law, or in the Old Testament in general, but in the law even, you could make a free will offering. Right? If, if you were just like amazed at the goodness of God to you, then what you could do is you could take something, and it varied what you could take, and you took it and you sacrificed that to God. You sacrificed it as a thank offering. You sacrificed it as a way to praise God, to thank God for His goodness for your life. Also, in, even in the law, you could make sacrifice or offerings that were grain and food offerings. They, they were mandated to be given at certain types, times of the year. Now, so those ideas, they stuck with me. And they lead me to believe the issue isn't blood, right? It's not that Abel offered a blood sacrifice and Cain brought grain and, and stuff he grew. I think the issue is something deeper. Now, before I give you the answer as to what I think is the issue, I want to point out something that I feel is very important, right? So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, your countenance Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must master it. Here's what God's saying to him. Why are you mad? If you do what I've said to do, you'll be accepted. Right, so whatever the statute was, whatever the standard was, whatever God demanded of them for this sacrifice, Cain knew. Right, so this isn't just a picture of me and Domingo sitting around being like, I think we ought to make a sacrifice to God. And, and we come up with our own ideas about what to sacrifice. And God's like, Domingo's was great, yours was trash. It's not like that. Whatever the standard was, Cain and Abel both knew what the standard was. And Cain chose not to give what God demanded. So what makes Cain's or Abel's sacrifice superior. Here's where I think the answer lies. Verse 3 through 5 of Genesis 4. Came about in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. And of course, the Lord had respect or regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, so Cain became angry and his countenance fell. So notice what Abel brought. Abel brought the firstlings and the fat of his animal. The firstlings are, like it says, the very first of what his flock had produced. 
the fat was considered the, the best part of the animal, the richest uh, and best part of the animal. Cain, on the other hand, all it says was he just brought an offering, the fruit of the ground, some of the stuff he had grown. It doesn't specifically say he brought the first fruits or the best fruits. Now, I, I see this as significant. I, I don't think there are any insignificant words given to us in God's word. I think when we see things like this, they, they are meant to point out something. Abel, Abel's sacrifice was superior in part because he gave it by faith. But because of he had faith, what he gave God was his first and his best. Now, I've never been a farmer. I've never raised animals for a living. But I can guess. I can guess if my livelihood depends on this flock, then children being born are significant to my future. And to take the very first one or first ones that are born, take them and the best of them, and give it to God, which is going to be more or less lost to me, that's a risk, isn't it? Because what if I take the first and there's no more? Now I have no children. I have my my herd is is in danger. Right? So there is an element of faith in taking the first, not waiting to see, okay, so there's twelve children born this season. Okay, I'll take this one. It's not looking at the ones that are born and going, that one's, that one's kind of got a gimpy leg. I think God will be okay with that and offering that. What Abel did was, among the very firstborn, he took and he offered it. He, he didn't wait to see how it would turn out. He didn't wait to see what would be, the, if there would be a, a worse one come along. He took the first and the best and he offered it to God. Abel, or Cain on the other hand, just brought some. I mean, it's almost the appearance that Abel was checking and looking and making sure and Cain was just like, well, I'll take this and that. Just grabbed some and took and offered it. Now with this, I think there are two ideas to take away. First, God does not accept anything but our best when we offer it to Him. We'll talk about the offerings we make in a little bit. Now, here's a good thing about God. He doesn't compare my best to your best. Right? It's not, did you do better than me? That's not the standard. It's not, did you do better than someone else? That, that's not the standard. Did you do your best? The best you could do? Think about the parable of the talents. Right? One, five, and ten, and two, or... Anyway, my mind's going away tonight. It's going to be a long service. Anyway, the, the parable of the talents... When they came before, he didn't say, how come you didn't earn as much as the other guy? He just said, you did your best. Well done. Well done. That's the picture. God doesn't compare your best with my best. He just looks at us as an individual and says, give your best. And that's all he'll accept. Now, something about Cain I wonder about. And I don't know that I could prove it for sure. But I think this may be the case. I wonder if Cain thought God would just be honored that Cain was thinking of him at all. Because Cain's not ignoring God. And in fact, if the order is significant in the way it's listed, it was Cain who went first. 
So it was Cain who first thought of God. It was Cain who first went to God and and offered God something. Do you think that Cain may have thought, I'm not ignoring God. Surely God will be pleased if I just give him something. It doesn't necessarily even say he gave God his junk. It just wasn't his first or his best. And he thought maybe. Shouldn't just the fact I'm thinking of God and offering God something be good enough for God? I think our culture is very much like that. It's very much, I don't have to give God my best. I I go to church some. I try to be a basically moral person. That's good enough. That's I mean, just doing those things puts us head and shoulders above half the population of America. Surely, God's looking down and going, you're better than most. Wonderful. And the reality is, No, because the standard isn't being better than 50% of the culture. The standard is give God our best. Secondly, the quality of sacrifice we offer to God is a reflection of our faith in God or our view of God. When we have faith, we serve a great and an awesome God. Who speaks worlds into existence. Causes the Red Sea to part. Who speaks and things come into being. A God so amazing. Angels cover their faces in His presence as they worship Him. A God who loved us to such an extent He sent His Son to die on the cross in our place so we could be redeemed and reconciled to Him. If if we understand and we believe God is all that the Bible says He is, the natural outflow of that will be to give God our best. Because a God like that is worthy of our best. And if we don't give God our best, we have to understand. It communicates something about our view of God. Communicates something about our faith in who God is and what God is like. We don't have time to look at it tonight, but if you really want to get a good idea of how God views it, when we just try to give Him something other than our best, While we expect him to be like, well, at least it's something. Read Malachi 1, verses 6 through 14. That's what they're doing. And God is not at all okay about it. It it communicates something about our faith in God when we give him our best. And it communicates something about our faith in God when we give him less than our best. The sacrifices we make reflect the faith we have. Secondly, so faith makes a superior sacrifice. Secondly, faith makes a confirming sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice revealed he was righteous. He was made righteous by faith. And his righteousness was confirmed when he made the superior sacrifice. If you remember when we looked at verse 2 and verse 6, they were approved of God, they pleased God by their faith. Right? So no, no one who's ever been approved of God was ever approved of God apart from faith in God. 
No one who's ever pleased God has ever pleased God apart from faith in God. And we we looked, if you remember, we looked in the Old Testament and there were loads of times in the Old Testament where the people of Israel were not living for God, but they still brought their sacrifices. They still came to the temple and they fasted on the high days and they sang the songs and they brought the lambs and the rams and all of these things. And and God said, I despise, I despise what you're doing. I hate your singing. I hate the sacrifices. They're a stench in my nostrils. And the issue wasn't that they weren't doing the right things. They were. The issue was they didn't have faith in God. So faith is always where our righteousness comes from. Faith is always where we receive the approval of God. Faith, people have always and only been declared righteous through faith. Never by works Always by faith. We see this right from the beginning of the Old Testament. Abraham is called. He's given great promises of God and he believes God. And the Bible says his faith was accounted to him by God for righteousness. All of Abraham's outward acts were not what made him righteous. Abraham's outward acts just revealed his faith in God and confirmed the fact he was righteous through his faith. This is, again, the key thing, because as we look at this chapter, there's going to be a lot of they did and so we do. And if we're not careful, what we can think is, well, I just need to do more. But the doing more isn't necessarily helpful. It has to be motivated by our faith. If we do not believe or write, it doesn't matter what we do. We can come to church every time the doors are open. We can give and do all of these things. But without faith, we do not please God. We will not receive his approval. We are only declared righteous because of our faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Jesus' sacrifice, and only Jesus' sacrifice, pays the penalty for our sins. God will only declare us to be righteous because of our faith in Jesus, who He is and what He has done. So I want to hammer on that. This is the key element of the gospel. This is one of the cries of the Reformation. Faith alone for our salvation. Now, with that foundation, the question is then, okay, I believe. Does that mean my belief there are no sacrifices I need to be make? I need to make today. Jesus has made the sacrifice. I believe I'm righteous. Now, that's it. I'm done. Well, no, that's not. Because once we believe in Jesus and our sins have been atoned for and we have been made righteous through faith, There are spiritual sacrifices we make. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Now, a lot of things, uh, priesthood of the believer is a great doctrine we don't have time to get into, but just the idea that all of us 
are priests before God. All of us have access to God. All of us make sacrifices to God. But again, notice it's through faith because it's through Jesus. Our own sacrifices are only acceptable through Jesus and we're only through Jesus by faith. So when we believe in Jesus, something happens within us. And we begin to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Not, we don't break out the bull and we don't break out the knives and the fire and the book of Leviticus and take off. Instead, we offer spiritual sacrifice. And and the New Testament actually tells us what kind of spiritual sacrifices we're to offer. And, And again, these sacrifices don't make us righteous. These sacrifices flow from our faith and reveal we're righteous. The first is we sacrifice our lives. We offer the sacrifice of our lives. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, again, notice the connection to salvation and the action. By the mercies of God. So this is the, because of what God has done for us in Christ, because of everything that has come in the previous 11 chapters of Romans, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, here's what I offer you to offer yourself as a sacrifice to God. Now, the wording is significant. I mean, of course, it's a connection to the Old Testament. And a sacrifice in the Old Testament was all in, right? I mean, you're, when, when you're taken up on the altar, your throat is cut, your guts are taken out, every part of you is burned and done something with, you are all in. And that's the picture. We are to be that level of all in with God, but with one major difference. We are to be active at every part of our sacrifice. Active at every part of our of giving our lives in this way. Right. Because the Old Testament sacrifices, they were put upon the altar and their throats were cut. Well, once that's done, their active part of it is pretty well over. They just are done at that point. But we don't do that. We're living sacrifice. And the main problem with the living sacrifice put on the altar is this living sacrifice can crawl off. Right. If you've ever tried to balance a, an infant on a changing table. You know that's a problem. Because if they're able to roll. You have to be very careful. Because it doesn't take much. For they can roll off one side or the other. That's a living thing. On a, on a small thing. And they can get off. We're like that. It's like if we were to use this as our altar. And crawl up on it. It's easier to fall off of that. Than it is to stay on it. And it's the same with offering ourselves as a sacrifice. It's far easier to get off the altar, to go on about our lives and do what we want, than it is to stay on the altar and be a living sacrifice to God. But that's exactly what we're to do. Offer ourselves continually as a sacrifice to God. Make sure we stay in that mode of surrender. And in a lot of ways, I think this is the key one. If we get this one right, we'll do the rest. And if we don't do the rest, I think I could say it's certainly because we're not doing this one right. 
This is the main sacrifice because it's offer our lives, all of our lives. And if we do that, well, then offering the sacrifice of praise is no big deal once I've offered my body. Right. So then through him again, so through Jesus, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips. Give thanks to his name. But again, notice it's through Jesus, right? Again, it's faith. It's not just sing more. Praise God more. That, that's not the point. Point is, if I'm in Christ through faith and I've been made righteous, there should be somewhat of a natural desire to praise God. And, and it may not be in song. It doesn't have to be. You can praise God without singing. But God's praise should be pretty consistently on our lips. Because of what he has done in saving us. It reveals, it confirms our faith. Confirms our righteousness. And again, once we've given our lives, well then, we'll give the good works. Do not neglect doing good, sharing uh, with such. Uh, for Sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So if I'm... A living sacrifice to God, a natural outflow of that is I'm going to do good things. I'm going to do the good things God would have me to do. I'll never forget a time in my life where I was I was just lukewarm. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. I was not even remotely living for the Lord. I wasn't living in sin. I went to church, but I wasn't really living for the Lord. I, I was much too busy pursuing my new wife than I was to be pursuing Jesus and we were doing a Bible study with someone, um, and we were in James 2 for the study, and I had a Ryrie study Bible. And in the notes, Ryrie says, a workless faith is a worthless faith. Oh, man, that was like a roundhouse kick to the gut. I was just thinking, man, that's harsh. And, and that was sort of a, a life-altering moment for me. I, I, wanted, I didn't want my faith to be worthless. So again, if I'm in Christ and I have been received and I've been made righteous and I give myself the natural, a natural outflow, I will do the good works God wants me to do. Financial sacrifices. This is implied here, right? Do not neglect doing good and sharing. And with sharing in the context, it refers to our finances. But it's explicitly stated in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, Paul, Paul expresses his gratitude to the Philippians for their support of him as he went to preach the gospel and while he was in prison. While he was in prison, they had sent him food and money and other necessities to be able to do what needed to be done. So Paul expresses his gratitude. But notice the wording. I've received everything in, in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. But notice what this was. A fragrant aroma. An acceptable sacrifice. Well pleasing to God. Now the fragrant aroma is frequently used in the Old Testament of the burnt offerings. When they would make the offerings God wanted them to make. And the way God wanted them to make. And they burnt the animals with fire. It was a sweet smelling savor that rose up to the nostrils of God. Pleasing Him. And their, their financial sacrifice to provide for Paul. 
It was the same sort of sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. But again, this is a huge one, right? I mean, we definitely have to be all on the altar before we do that. But when we're on the altar and we've given our all to God who has done so much for us, it's not that big of a deal. We still do it. And then we sacrifice ourselves to reach others for Jesus. Also in Philippians, Paul said, But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Drink offering was kind of offering they made. One thing that always stands out to me about the idea of a drink offering is it's, I mean, it's like, it's, it's an all-in thing too, isn't it? I mean, if I had a cup of water, or if I had opened my bottle of water, and I poured it out on the ground, there's no getting it back in the cup. And if you do it on a dry ground, there's definitely no getting it back in there. It's, it hits the ground, the ground soaks it up, the water's it's gone to you. And so this is that sort of picture. We, we give ourselves in that way as a sacrifice for their faith. And, and we rejoice while we do it. Paul was sacrificing himself in an effort to reach people and bring them to faith in Jesus through the gospel. When we serve others with a, the goal of trying to bring them to faith in Jesus, it, it is the same sort of a drink offering. We're pouring ourselves out for the sake of the gospel, for the salvation of the lost, and it is a well-pleasing sacrifice to our God. Now, these are the sacrifices we we are to make. We find in the Bible, in the New Testament, and again, so there's a balance here. We are to make them, but if we're not, it's not enough to just say I'm going to do more, because the the Sacrifices have to be made because of our faith. If I do these, I want to be sure I'm right with God. So I'm going to sacrifice myself, give more. I'm going to do all of these things. It does no good. It has to flow out of I believe in God through faith in Jesus. I believe. Therefore, I'm going to. I'm not doing this to be righteous, but because God has made me righteous, this is how I'm going to live my life. And as we make these sacrifices in this way, it confirms our faith is real. Our righteousness is indeed given to us from God. One thing I'm thankful for as I read through these today and was going through them, I think our church family does I mean, none of us are perfect at this. But I see and have seen these from our church family so many times in all the years that we've been here. I mean, we, you, you, the, 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 our, our faith in Jesus, the righteousness which flows from Him, is evident through the lives lived and the, the way things are done. And that is a reason to rejoice. So faith makes a superior sacrifice. Faith makes a confirming sacrifice. Finally, faith makes a memorable sacrifice. By faith and through his sacrifice, Abel, though dead, yet speaks.
What does that mean? Well, when you go back to the story of, of Cain and Abel, after Cain's sacrifice is rejected, and God calls him on the carpet about it, tells him, just do what's right, Cain doesn't. Cain is like so many in our world, nothing is their fault. The reason his sacrifice wasn't received is because Abel offered something better. Stupid Abel. So he invites Abel out to the woods. And then he kills his brother and in some way or another disposes of the body and goes on about life as though nothing was wrong. God comes to him and was like, hey, where's your brother? And Cain was like, well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God makes a statement there. He said that Abel's blood cried out from the ground at what Cain had done. Now, this is obviously, that, that statement by God is obviously what Hebrews is talking about by his faith is though he's dead, it yet speaks. But still, what does it mean for us? What makes the most sense to me is Abel speaks to us through his good example of faith. His example of faith lives on today. When we have a living faith and we make sacrifices of faith, our faith will be memorable to others. Think about great Christian leaders who have who have biographies written of them. Maybe you've read two that stand out to me. One is George Mueller. George Mueller started an orphanage in England and determined he would never ask for donations. God would provide. So the stories are that there would be times where there was no food in the orphanage. And he would have the kids get around the table, set out the plates, and then they would pray and thank God for the food which was not there. And at the end of the prayer... A knock would come at the door, somebody bringing food and money. And you think, well, how, how effective could a life of faith like that be? So I did some checking. In his life, he cared for around 10,024 orphans. He provided educational opportunities for the orphans to such an extent he was accused by some of raising the poor above their natural station in British life. The ignorant weren't staying ignorant and so they were, it was a problem. He established 117 schools offering Christian education to more than 120,000 children who would not have received any sort of education Otherwise, all without ever asking for a donation, all because he would pray and believe or D.L. Moody, a simple shoe salesman who was saved and felt the gospel must be shared. He was a poorly educated man, but he started a church, a college and a publishing house, all of which still stand today. And this doesn't take into consideration the thousands who were saved through his sacrifice of faith. Now, those are obviously inspiring. But the reality is this. We're not all going to be Abel, are we? And we're not all going to be George Mueller. And we're not all going to be D.L. Moody. But that doesn't mean our sacrifice of faith won't be memorable. Smaller ways, but just as legitimate. 
I think of my grandmother Ross. We called her Momo. She was a tiny little woman who loved Jesus. She was about this tall. And she, one of the ladies who drove her around, she had to carry a step stool so she could get up in the vehicle. She was so short. She was a Methodist lay preacher. She sang in the choir. She cleaned the church. And she was a prayer warrior. Her faith in Jesus and the way it influenced her life is just about the defining characteristic of her life. If there is anything her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren remember about her, we remember our Momo's faith. Through her faith, she being dead still speaks. And it will be the same with us. We all have the ability to leave a lasting legacy of faith in Jesus. And when we're gone, it will be what people remember about us. What is the defining characteristics of our lives? If you and I were to pass tonight, what would those who've known us most remember about us? What would be the defining thing they said, this was my mom this was my dad, this was my brother, this was my husband, this was my wife. Through faith, we each and every one have an opportunity to leave behind more than a memory when we're gone. We can leave behind an example of faith to help others follow Jesus. And I'll close these words by William Barclay. When people leave this world, they leave something. They may leave something which will grow and spread like a disease. Or they may leave something fine which continues always to blossom and flourish. They leave an influence of good or ill. Everyone who dies goes on speaking. May God grant that we leave behind not a germ of evil, but a lovely thing in which the lives of those who come after will find a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We thank you tonight for those who have gone on before us. Father, we thank you for those from our church who have passed on and have left a legacy here. We thank you for those in our families who have left a faith legacy for us. And we, we are thankful for men like Moody and Mueller. Thankful. God, help us. Help us to search our life to see what kind of sacrifice we're making. And what that sacrifice says about our faith. Help us, Father, if we, we look and we see, you know, I'm coming short. Temptation is to turn inward. The enemy will take this and try to run with condemnation, but that's not you. You never condemn us. You may convict us and you challenge us. And you call us to change, but you don't condemn us. So that condemning voice we may hear even now, that's the enemy. That's the accuser of the brethren. That's not you. If we fall short, let us see why. Let us turn to you and repent of where we've been lax or something. And let us 
cling to the cross and let what the cross has done in us and through us and for us move us out. I thank you for our church. I thank you for the faith and the sacrifice of faith we have seen here from so many for so long. Our church has been here for a very long time and many who were a part have gone to be with you. And our church stands. And those people, though they're dead, they speak today through what we do as a church. Help us to continue that. Help us to reach others. And help our church to be here for many more years to testify of our faith and the faith of those who come after us. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. All right, we're dismissed.